Welcome to A Muggle's Perspective. We're going to be covering chapters 33 and 34 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire this fine evening. As always, I'm your host, Rogi. I'm joined today by a special guest, Brayden. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing tonight, Brayden? Excited to be here. You're doing good. Things are good. Things are great. Things are good. Things are great. Things are operating per usual. Here's my question. It's July something. July 15th. Shouts Jacob. Jacob's birthday. When's your... Isn't your birthday? Oh, no, your birthday was in birthday June. Jacob. My birthday was in June. Is it... On July 15th, normally I would feel pretty comfortable purchasing and consuming sweet corn. Is that the case? Yeah, not That's this not year. the case to get this year. Uh, not, no, I don't think so. It's, uh, we're getting close. Give it a, give it another week or two. Yeah, I think so. That's good to know. I look to you for that kind of information. Yeah. Now, like up where you are, it might be different. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not up there. I don't know what the weather was like when people trying to plant sweet corn. So I doubt it's that different because it rained a lot. Which is, I think, the issue with you yeah. as well. Right. So right. I think we're in the same boat. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So like I said, we're covering chapters 33 and 34. You know, some pretty just humdrum, like uneventful chapters, right? Not a whole lot going filler? on. Fairly we call boring. Them filler? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. This one's... I mean, sorry, JKR, yeah. but what are you even doing? Like, we had a pretty good one that we did on a live read last week. And then this, it's like Death Eaters, really? Like, is that what we need to be talking about right now? <laughs> it's like she just she just couldn't let it go. Right. It's like, move it's on. It's like, be more concise. Show, don't tell. So, so question just popped in my head. We, we, I referenced JKR mm-hmm. a lot. JK Rowling. What does the JK stand for? Uh, the J is Joanne. Okay. The the K. I don't I, th- I don't think the K. I think she invented the K. She just kind of grabbed the K. Like maybe her grandma. She had a grandma named K. Something like that. Like K A Y maybe. She just okay. thought JK would sound good. JK Rowling because she wanted to not make it immediately obvious that she was a woman when the first book came out. Oh, that's interesting. She's a little more androgynous. I mean, you know, that was 20 plus years ago, so it's kind of a different situation. Now it's like, sure, Sure. women fantasy writers, but yeah. Uh, I would argue too that like, that's just an author thing. Yeah. I mean, like J.R.R. Tolkien, yeah, a lot of like theological authors and um, writers and things like that, like always use like the first two initials. I don't know if that's like a 
a power move or what. But yeah, it's like you're lent. You're giving yourself some automatic. What's the word? Cred, credibility. Yeah, I guess it's it's like having a rap mm-hmm. name, yeah. right? Like you're not gonna you're not gonna hop into the rap game. Like, well, I say that, and then it's like you think about Drake. Like that's kind of like that's not a cool. It's rap cooler name. than Aubrey. That's true. He didn't have a whole lot of choices. Mm-hmm. But now. In today's rap, you can pretty much just put Lil in front of like the most ridiculous thing, and rap about your emotions and be successful. Unacceptable. I'm okay with it. I think it's heading in a good direction. Other than, um, I don't know. Seems like. There's a lot of like suicide surrounding rap. Maybe I, maybe I'm just thinking about the one, the guy we've we've talked about previous episodes. I don't know how to say it. X X Tentos and Tentation Tentacion. I thought it was, it was pronounced Post Malone. <laughs> Dude, I have I have like actively tried to find reasons to not like that guy, and I can't do it. Really. That's not where I thought you were going to go with that. Yeah, I know. I know most people say that after I say that. And I've watched a lot of interviews with him. I've listened to a lot of his music. His music isn't my go-to. It's not like what I would choose to listen to in my free time. However, I think most of it is catchy and well-made. And in, in his interviews, he seems like a genuinely like fun guy to hang out with. Like, just kind of a laid-back dude. See, what about, as far as looking for reasons to not like him, what about, like, his physical appearance? No, that was that was definitely one of them. And that, for the longest time, like, that's why I didn't like him. Yeah. I heard one song on the radio, and it was kind of like, okay, that's auto-tuned garbage. And then I looked up a picture of him, and I was like, yeah, no, I I was right. I don't like him. And then he he went on Jimmy Fallon, Huge Jimmy Fallon fan. And I really liked his interview on there. He just seemed like a funny, like, respectful, just nice guy. And I was like, man, I can't I can't hate a guy for how he looks when he's that nice. So how I feel right now is how you must feel when we talk about Harry Potter. Because I just, I don't know what's going on. I have nothing to contribute. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, so yeah, similar. So like, I guess my prediction would be that, you know, Post Malone is going to end up with Megan the Stallion. Right? That's a name? Megan the Stallion? No? You what? haven't heard of that? Oh, who's I don't that? Know. I thought she was like a singer. Some kind of artist. Hmm. Not saying she's not. People on the ringer talk about her sometimes, maybe. Okay. I don't know. I'll I'll give her it's a listen. The, like T H E E in the middle. I don't know. Interesting. Okay. I'll put that in the queue. So chapter thirty three, <laughs> the Death Eaters. We've we've got this broken down into a couple sections here. 
I think you did you would you call that a beef? Your initial reaction to this chapter? Um, yeah, it's somewhat beefy. I guess it's nothing like super aggressive, yeah. but and we can get to it when we get to it. But like, we've got a little bit of beef here. Yeah, it's not a full steak dinner, but mm. you know, little maybe some beef tips. So we, this is kind of broken down into a couple sections here. This chapter, in the beginning, I just kind of wrote down like general thoughts on. Voldemort shows up. Wormtail is there. Voldemort is kind of—he's like literally waiting, and he's like, "I guess I'll just talk about our collective parents, Harry. Like, we'll just shoot the breeze about parentage." Did you have, do you have any thoughts on the yeah. whole the preamble in this chapter? Um, it, the whole thing is really interesting to me. Like the fact—I mean, it's the classic villain. Um, monologue scene mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I guess it's just interesting to me what he feels necessary to, to share and to talk about um, his perspective on these the events parenting, that we've seen yeah I don't know if it's in a weird way him trying to relate to Harry like hey my parents are dead too yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying, I don't know why he would want to relate to Harry, but I think it's, I don't know if it was kind of like a reminder of, Hey, my parents are dead too. And remember how I killed yours yeah. and now I'm going to kill right. you. Like it was kind of like setting the foundation of like, here's how we got here. Here's a little bit of my background. I share the same loss, but now I'm going to come out on top and you're like, not. Just so we're clear, this is why I'm going to kill you. Like, let's recap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, thoughts on Wormtail at all in this section? Um, yeah. How long does it take for someone to bleed out when they've chopped their arm off? Yeah, you because it seems like, like his like, Voldemort's uh, monologue goes on for a very long time. Here's my question: Do we have access to someone with like nursing knowledge, like like a medical expert? Oh, that's a good point, Hannah. <laughs> Hannah. Hannah, hey, can I ask you a nursing question? Sorry. Yes, I yelled on the pod. Okay, so the question is, um, one of Voldemort's faithful assistants, in order to revive Voldemort, um, they needed the blood of a faithful servant. So the faithful servant's name is Wormtail. He cut off his own arm, like the motion that Rogi's making right now. Make the... How he cut off his own arm. Yep, that's how it happened. And now he has like fashioned uh, some some kind of like tourniquet, basically. Just out of like his sleeve. Like he's bleeding out, basically out of his sleeve. So our question is, how long do you think he would have in real life before he bled out? 
Let's well, okay. He basically has just like pulled his sleeve over it and holding it tight. How good do you think? How long? Ballpark. He cut off his arm midway up the forearm. Yeah, let's say like probably mid, they needed like the hand. Wrist. Right? Yeah, it's mostly his hand and like mid a little wrist. bit of wrist. Yeah. Can you get? Can she's speaking to the mic? He'd like you to speak into the mic. I would. I've heard. Give us a I ballpark range like of how long this guy would have. I mean, I have no idea. I mean, you would have cut an artery, so. So probably not long, right? Like half, like half an hour. Half an hour. <laughs> I don't know. I don't time people bleeding out. See how long it takes them to die. So, this was a colossal failure because, as it turns out, Hannah does not time people bleeding out. At this work. is just a very so, Hannah move, which is like she has a guess, but <laughs> she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to guess. She's like, I don't technically know the answer, <laughs> so I'm not going to say anything. And I respect that because she's not going to just throw out false information on a podcast. But, we, but we're asking know? for an educated guess, and we all—we're not. No one's going to hold you to it. We don't have a listener out there. Chad's not out here chopping off his wrist. I mean, like Hannah said, <laughs> Chad, Chad, please don't. Hannah chop off said, your wrist. "I've got about twenty minutes." Chad's not doing that. Did Hannah leave? She left. She's googling. Okay, it. I mean, like I could have done that. I want. I want. The, I no. want Hannah's unfiltered. You. You wouldn't know the you know the the best the most reliable websites to go to for hacking is off it, an arm. Is it not so WebMD? It's not WebMD. <laughs> no. I'm not even gonna tell her that you said that. Like she gets pretty fired up about that. She website. knows what website I'm talking about. WebMD. <laughs> cut off your hand. Yeah. How long? How long? <laughs> cut off. How long do you have before <laughs> if you cut off your hand? <laughs> Just like, like more or less than half. I mean, it's got to take him half an hour to do this speech, right? Yeah. Oh no, it took her to like a suicide right. hotline. That website. makes sense. That's yeah. the first thing I thought of is like, when you slit your wrist, like that's the way people kill themselves. So like, sure. this is like a like a killing yourself avenue. Well, like I said, you've got a major artery going on there. So, yeah. I'm thinking there's no way he lasts longer than 30 minutes. Well, and plus, I mean, are we talking dying or are we talking passing out? Because he like physically gets up and does things still. Yes, that's a good point too. Is like it keeps like JKR keeps mentioning offhandedly that like, and they he said this over Wormtail's sobs as he still held his arm. Like, at what point does this guy just lose consciousness? You think. It's like, I don't know at what temperature steel beams melt relative to jet fuel. That's fine. But, like, it, there's at least a structural integrity issue. You know, what I'm t- you know what I'm talking about? No, but it sounded good, and I'm agreeing like, with it. Like, even if jet fuel doesn't burn at a temperature that is high enough to melt a steel beam, like, I don't need the steel in my building to be liquefied before it falls down. I just need it to be Good like point. a little wobbly. And then the building's falling down. Yeah. So I would say Wormtail's 
we can safely say he's on the verge of falling down. I would think so. And he's just like, can we please, can you, I know you're going to give me a hand or I'm going to die. So can we do that? And Voldemort's like, bro, I got to get my monologue in. I've been waiting 13 he's years. He's got a tattoo and I need to push it. <laughs> yeah. So this kind of was a reveal for you. Because you had guessed that maybe we were talking, we know with Karkaroff and Snape, is there some kind of tattoo situation? Yes. And Karkaroff has the tattoo, right? I mean, he's mentioned by name. So he's a Death Eater. Yeah. So he's still a Death Eater. Um, So he got off the hook and shouldn't have tried to turn in Snape. So that's interesting because that's what I want to get to. That was the biggest thing from this chapter for me is doesn't um i want to read it correctly voldemort mentions that there are like three there's six missing like three of them are dead and three of them are like in specific places yeah and so and i, I want to read those correctly so i'm gonna flip yeah, to we'll it. get there in a second i mean you kind of you, we've kind of hit on most of my points already um the death eaters return his talking points he talks a lot about forgiveness and loyalty Right, I'm not going to forgive you. Yeah, he doesn't forgive. You didn't find me for 13 years, so I need 13 years of repayment for that. And that's like some pretty yeah. generic, like on-brand Voldemort stuff. You say that, but this is all new for me. Right, that's what that's what I don't like, know. I'm, I'm positing that to you, and I want you to go off of that. Is that for you? Are you like sure Voldemort? Like, or do or you're like, man, I thought he'd forgive them faster. No. I, I wasn't like sure Voldemort. Like I know he's evil, so it's not like it's a huge shock, but I this was a big chapter for me to like learn his character. Character development. Yeah. So what do you know? Yeah, because we have so a, what do you know about Voldemort? Describe Voldemort to me now from what you know. Um dude's ego is huge. Mm-hmm. Very high opinion of himself. Um, yeah. Talks about himself a lot. Yes, cares cares supremely about loyalty. Um, does not forgive, does not forget. He is a eye for an eye guy. But he does. He, he, he didn't. You, no, go on. You know, like you didn't come looking for me. Here's some crucio. How does that taste? But Wormtail, you screwed it up. So now I'm gonna need your arm. Go ahead and cut it off. Go ahead. He's someone that, but well. Like, he'll do that with one hand and then turn around and describe himself as merciful, right? Yeah, definitely, like, a psychopathic quality to this monologue. Um, Definitely had undertones of, like, godlike stature. Right, like the way that the his followers come and fall at his feet, and you know, kiss the hems of his robes, and he kind of talks about, like, I don't know, he talks about himself in the way that like a a savior like figure, right? So using the third person a lot. Yes, that's when you know. Hannah, do you have an update on? Not really. Not really. Okay. Can we? Maybe we can research it and hear back on Thursday. 
No, I don't want. So that. maybe we can research it and hear back on I just, Thursday. I just want. I just want her opinion. Right. Right. She's gonna consult some different medical websites and get back okay. to us. That's fine. She said there are too many opinions out there of people basing um, their results on what happened in movies. <laughs> By too many, she means like greater than zero. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, like I'll take what I can get. What I want is just her to be like I don't know, twenty minutes. I just want. I just want yeah, her to say something. I know. I get it. Yeah, and I've accepted yeah. that. But for the record, it's not my preference. Okay. He Voldemort. Yeah. So Voldemort's crucioing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is dealing out the crucios freely, like Oprah. Yeah. You get a crucio, and you get a crucio. He gives Wormtail a magic hand. Yeah, a brand new silver hand. He makes him wait for it, though. It's not like a, all right, you did your job. Thanks, here's your hand. It's like, I kind of want to hear you beg for it, and I want you to listen to my monologue first. You returned to me, not out of loyalty, but out of fear of your old friends. You deserve this pain, Wormtail. You know that, don't you? Yeah, that's what's so creepy about it is like he says something like heinously evil and then he kind of like starts talking from a condescending standpoint to them like like you you understand like this is your fault and now I have to kill you or now I have to hurt you. It's very he knows like I'm he knows to... academically how to manipulate. Like it's like he's read a book yeah. on how to manipulate someone. But he doesn't quite have enough yeah. empathy to do it. Right. Um I have a whole talking point about just kind of who the names that he gives. So first off he's like, "All right, Mal, you're here, Malfoy." Like I, I just want to be very clear, Lucius Malfoy, you're a death eater. Do you have thoughts on yeah. this? Yeah. Uh, didn't come as a huge shock. Right. We've been just assuming this. Um. Yeah. So I was kind of hoping, like, honestly, my reaction was when I read this, like, sweet, he's here. So when the epic fight goes down, like, maybe he'll be one of them to die. Okay. Like he'll get caught in the crossfire or something, and we won't have to deal with Lucius Malfoy anymore. A little sick of me to think, maybe, but. I'm just being honest. What's Draco like if his dad is killed here? How does that affect Draco? I think a lot less cocky. I think a lot less cocky and arrogant. So, well, knock I knock mean, him down a peg by killing his oh, dad. Yeah, that sounds worse when you say it out loud. But these things always do. Maybe, maybe just maybe just banish his dad to Azkaban. Yeah, right. I mean, because like. Not to jump too far ahead of ourselves, but Harry's here seeing all of this. Harry's got names. Yeah. Harry's got names. Uh, Crab and Goyle. Like, what the heck? I wouldn't have thought they were smart enough. I mean, you don't get the impression that they're smart. 
They almost, they're like are tripping over themselves and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, that one was interesting. Like I would have guessed, like if you'd asked me, do you think Lucius Malfoy's secretly a Death Eater? Probably been like, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Do you think Crap and Goyle are Death Eaters? Um, maybe, but I don't think those would be like Voldemort's first choice. Right. They're like whatever's a step down. Yeah. Be like, well, you guys are like a warm body. I'm sure we could put you to use for something. You could do dishes or something. Any other names that stood out to you? Um, I'm trying to remember what all gets thrown out there. Draco isn't there, Correct. right? He's not there. He only mentions Lucius by name. So that, yeah. Um, are there any other big names I'm forgetting? Um, we're looking at McNair, Knott, and Avery. I don't recognize any of those, should I? No, the only one you could recognize would be McNair, who's the guy that tried to kill Buckbeak. Oh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's like, Which I can't we don't do know anything a whole lot about that. that character, yeah, right? it's just like, yeah. I have, oh, technically I've seen him before. That's interesting. So then we get, like you said, yeah. to the six missing ones. Do you know what page we're on here? No, I'm still trying to find that. 86% for those of you reading on the bootleg Kindle version. Okay, too far. We'll have to cut this, Jess. Sorry. Add marker. Successfully added the marker. Uh-huh. You just want to read starting in here. Yeah. So, and here we have six missing Death Eaters, three dead in my service. One, too cowardly to return. He will pay. One, who I believe has left me forever. He will be killed, of course. And one who remains my most faithful servant and who has already re-entered my service. The Death Eaters stirred and he saw their eyes dart sideways at one another through their masks. He is at Hogwarts, that faithful servant, and it was through his efforts that our young friend arrived here tonight. Yes, said Voldemort, a grin curling his lipless mouth as the eyes of the circles circle flashed in Harry's direction. Harry Potter has kindly joined us for my rebirthing party. One might go so far as to call him my guest of honor. Hmm. So there's somebody at Hogwarts, Voldemort says. We've got somebody at Hogwarts who is apparently his most faithful servant. More faithful than Wormtail. Can we can we put names to any of these? One too cowardly to return, one he believes has left him forever. Okay. Will it give too much away if I... Let me ask you this. I realize you probably won't tell me. Good. Do I do I know? Have I met all three of the characters he's referring to? Uh, you've have you met the th- the one who one who you've um yes yeah I've met all three of these yes. characters. 
Okay. So the one that's too cowardly to return. I think that might be Karkaroff. Interesting. Why? Uh, I mean, I would assume Voldemort knows that he sold him out in the sure. courts. And so now it would be like, like, I don't, I'm not saying Karkaroff's still not trying to help Voldemort behind the scenes, but he's not going to come back to him. Like he knows that I'm sure he knows enough about Lord Voldemort to know that like, he's not going to forgive him. So it's like, I'm not even going to try. I'm, I'm afraid mm-hmm. he'll just kill me on the mm-hmm. spot. So that's my justification of that one. Hey, I'm going to pause you real quick. The one. I'm going to pause you real quick. The sound quality is really struggling. I'm going to turn okay. off video. I turned off my video. Maybe turn off your video. Yeah, you're gone. Can you turn off yours? Uh, yeah. Okay, let's we'll see if that helps. So we've got the one too cowardly to return. We think it's Karkaroff. One who I believe has left me forever. He will be killed. Any guesses as to who that could be? Well, so I think that Snape is one of these. And I don't know which one to put him in. As far as the second two. Right. Whether he's left Voldemort forever or if he remains his most faithful servant. I think that... Um, I think that Bagman might be one of these. Oh, interesting. He was in that scene in the pensive. Yeah. So I want to say that Snape is his most faithful servant. Right, because we don't like Snape. Right. But something... And I have no reason to trust my gut when it comes to making predictions for Harry Potter. But something in my gut tells me that Snape is the one that he thinks has left him forever. Sure. That's fine. So that means the other one's Bagman. Bagman, Bagman. Bagman. Um... Yeah, but then I guess doesn't he say that he the third one is at Hogwarts? He does say that, yes. So I don't know if he means as in like employed by Hogwarts or he's just currently at Hogwarts. Yeah. I mean, Bagman's been around if, this year. Oh, uh, yeah. So that could, I don't know, that could point to Snape depending on how, like what context he's using there. I think the last two are one of those two. I don't know. I don't feel confident putting them in either one, but those are my two guesses, I guess. Good. I like that we had guesses for them. So then Voldemort does, he does his spiel, and I think this is where, this is where we beef. Yeah, we could beef a little. Brayden's beef! Ah, Beefy. Beefy. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I just, I was kind of beefing before the, before we started the show about how this is literally the longest monologue of all time. 
Voldemort is filled with a lot of hot air. I mean, he's been sitting around for 13 years just planning this speech, right? Right, but it seems like you could make, and, and villains always do this, but you could just make better use of the time. Like, all right, guys, I need to get this duel over with with Harry. Once I kill him, everybody stick around. I want to talk to you about everything that's happened for the last 13 years. Yeah, it doesn't, there's no reason he has to do the spiel before the duel. Right, because like very little of it is really even related to Harry. I mean, it, it all is, but like, it, I don't think it's till the very end that he gets into like, and everyone thought Harry was stronger than me, and now I'm going to prove that he isn't. I mean, am I wrong in thinking here's my that? My thing is that if you're not planning on Harry being, I no, I guess I can see the dramatic build up. Right, man, remember all these times that Harry Potter beat me and then remember this happened and that happened. Okay, so that all happened and I get yeah. it and I watch me kill him. And then you're proving your power. Yes. I'm here for a dramatic buildup. I think he did it. He overdid it here. True. This goes on forever. <laughs> That's true. And we, we definitely don't have to read every part of it. He just he talks about every book. He talks about one, two, and three up to now. Right. Right. Plus baby Harry. It's like a really, really bad best man speech. Oh, wow. That's so true because he's making it all about him. Making it all about him and it's like he's sharing way too much detail and just like you could summarize a lot of these time periods and instead he's just like telling every story. A lot of him like possessing small animals. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So did any of it stick out to you that you want to make mention of or do you want to keep it rolling? Um, there is the, the, the Jertha gosh, Borkin were, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So he... Can we walk through... I. There was just a lot to consume here in his monologue and I want to make sure that I caught how Jertha Borkins was involved. Where do you want to start? Uh, mostly the part where he starts talking about her. Okay, I'm st- the, the part where he explains. I'm still 86% of the way in, so you're probably just a few pages. Okay, I'll just look for her name. It starts with it starts with a lot of Wormtail. Wormtail. He, he's like, wasn't it Wormtail? And didn't I Wormtail? A lot of that. Okay, he's talking about, I'm at... 656 where he's talking about my father's bone naturally meant that we would have to come here where he was he's explaining this is gonna be before that you went too far i think okay because on the next page he says why by using bertha jorgen's information of course yeah so so early basically back back up a little bit a few pages yeah we're too far okay yeah we're just a couple pages too far so he starts with basically, he's like, I was about to give up. I got almost abandoned hope. And then who shows up but freaking Wormtail, the worst Death Eater. You with me? I'm just trying to get where exactly this is.
So this is still before, like, when he inhabited small animals. No, this is after inhabiting small animals. He's like, I've been inhabiting small animals. I tried to attach myself to Quirrell. Screwed that up. I'm with you. Okay, and then freaking Wormtail shows up. What are the odds? Because Wormtail's a rat. Do you guys know Wormtail's a rat? You guys see this? You guys hear about this? He has a weird. He has a weird thing for rats. He's got little rat friends. Mm. They told him where I was, in Albania. But then my guy Wormtail is about to get to me, and what does the idiot do? He walks into a, a rest, an Albanian restaurant, and starts chatting up with Jertha Borkins from the Ministry of Frickin' Magic. Instead, so he convinces her to accompany him on a nighttime stroll. Not going to get into it, but what the heck does that mean? And then overpowered her. Again, not going to get into it. What the heck does that mean? Brought her to me. Bertha Jorkins, who might have ruined all, proved instead to be a gift beyond my wildest dreams. For, with a little persuasion, she became a veritable... Mine of information. So at this point, he basically cracks open her brain and just starts like making her tell him everything she knows. He just he doesn't. He's not like chatting it up. He just snags the info from like her her thoughts. So he doesn't even give her a chance to offer it up. He's just I mean, like he he might. Here's what's. But happen. I think like yeah. when you're sitting down, you're tied up and you're sitting down facing Voldemort. Like at this point, like not even a tadpole Voldemort. He's right. got to be. You got to be just screaming. Right. There's no way you're just like, oh, hello, Mister Demort. How are you? He's got. You've got to start like just using magic to break Mr. into DeMort. their to break to break into their minds. And it looks like there was a memory charm on her of some kind. We don't know why. Right. He had to break it. She told him that the Triwizard Tournament would be played at Hogwarts this year. She told him that she knew of a faithful Death Eater who would be only too willing to help me if I could only contact him. She told me many things, but the means I used to break the memory charm upon her were powerful, and when I extracted all useful information from her, her mind and body were both damaged beyond repair. She had now served her purpose. I could not possess her. I disposed of her. It's kind of disgusting how he talks and about her. He smiles. He immediately smiles. Yeah, he is disgusting. From a physical standpoint mm-hmm. and an emotional standpoint. Yeah. Anything else here? Wormtail nurses him back to health. He invents like a body given potion yeah he I think he pretty much explains how we get to here I mean he is able to contact said death eater within Hogwarts who sets up the port key as the triwizard trophy a lot of that Yeah. He uses Death Eater. Boom, his Death Eater gets Harry in the tournament. Boom, his Death Eater makes sure Harry wins the tournament. 
That's what makes me think that it's Bagman. Because he's been sketchily. Because Bagman yeah. has the most control of like the Triwizard stuff, and he didn't really start showing up around Hogwarts until the Triwizard stuff. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. And so he was just playing it cool when he was interrogated in that memory that Harry watched. Yeah, like I don't know, maybe he's just a really, really good liar. Like as far as you like the last book climaxed with a dead guy that's been dead forever faking his death and turning into a rat. And also there was a werewolf. You know, so like you'll believe anything. Right. And like we kind of got into last episode, like sometimes uh, professional athletes mm-hmm. get a little bit a little bit more favor within those situations than a regular person would. That's true. So now all he really only wants one more thing. It's like now I'm gonna take over, I'm gonna be Voldemort, it's gonna be great, but first I'm gonna kill Harry Potter. Does this surprise you at all that yeah. he gives him his wand? Yes. Yeah, it, it was fascinating to me that he's like, no, I'm not going to just kill you. Like, I want to show everyone that I'm better. Like, I want you to have a chance. It's all about the pageantry. That was interesting. He's very into pageantry. Yeah. He's very prideful. Mm-hmm. Like, you can tell that I don't, I don't, I think the worst part of the last 13 years for him is like his pride being hurt. Like you got to think that he's been thinking about this. He has been thinking like, once I get to him, how am I going to kill him? I'm going to duel him. Like what if people think that he's actually stronger than me? Like that's what he hates more than anything else. Right. Exactly. Which, yeah, like I said, is just kind of fascinating to me. Yeah, because when you build your regime on fear and power, then it, it's more than just, look, I killed him. It's like you have to humiliate him to get those things back. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, learning a lot about his character, um, what matters to him, and what kind of motivates him and drives him. I think those are things that will be important to keep in mind as Harry continues to face off with him as the series goes on, goes on. Yeah, absolutely. We're certainly about to get into a face off here in chapter 34, but first a word from our sponsors. So we can do an ad drop here. Um, and then, but here in a second, I'm going to jump in for the howler. We have two howlers. This one's really short, though. All right, we're back. Uh, before we get into chapter 34, we have a couple howlers that I think you guys are going to really like. So we'll get into the first one from a returning caller. Hey, guys, this is Emily again. Sorry, I have to call again because I'm catching up on some of your episodes, and I just have to say that, Brayden, you pronounced Booyabase correctly. The L's are not pronounced, so good job. Rogi, those L's, <laughs> yeah, 
get rid of them. <laughs> uh, that's it. Keep up the good work. Have a good day, guys. Bye. So I keep taking the L's in the Howlers. Yes. Booyah base? No L's. Booyah base. I didn't say any L's there. Chapter 34, Priori Incantatum. So, this is just all about a duel. Right? Is that how you describe this chapter? Yeah. So, accordingly, I broke it down, starting with pre-duel. Any thoughts on the pre-duel stuff? The bowing? Harry being like, crap, I don't know any spells. No, I mean, it's mostly just Voldemort being a douche. Like, I said bow, and now he, like, you know, arches his spine and hits him with a little bit of Crucio again, and it's mostly just, like, watch how powerless he is before I kill him. But, like, he has to do it by trying to do the Imperio mind control. Is that... Is he not supposed to have to use that? Well, it's like, I mean, I don't know. Harry isn't, is clearly not scared of him. Like, he's Harry's not just doing it because he's so scared. He's forcing him to do it. So it's like, look how scared mm-hmm. this kid is of me. Kid, act scared. <laughs> I said act scared. Yeah, so that's what is most impressive about this chapter is Harry's will. Yeah, that's His, Harry's thing, yeah. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have blamed him at all if he just was like, okay, like I just need to stand here and take it, and this is how I die. Because, I mean, we're going through his thoughts here in the pre-duel, and it's like, yeah, I, I don't know any good spells. Like, I did this one time in class, and Malfoy and I, like, blasted each other across the room. With snakes. Yeah. Like, I I don't think anyone would blame him for giving up. Or even just, like, saying what needs, like, what Voldemort wants him to say. Just so he'll stop blasting him with the Crucio stuff or whatever. He's just like, no, I'm gonna die with dignity. I'm not, I'm not gonna be a, a toy before I die. Yeah, like that's what you're supposed to do, right? In life and death scenarios, is just do what the crazy person says. Mm-hmm. Just feed into it. But he doesn't do that, and he still makes it out. Because I mean. It, by the end of the duel part, he does just come out and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to come out. I'm going to do my one spell and we'll see if it works. And if not, then I'll die. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of moves us right into the actual duel then, right? Like when they're both actually using spells. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, Harry just gets the one going. So then I guess I basically just want you to explain to me what you understand is happening here. With when their spells hit each other? Yes. 
Um, so the way I understand it is the spells hit each other and turn gold. Right. And it creates a force field around Voldemort and Harry. Sure. I, I don't know why, but now they are in a golden dome of light that is built upon the connection of spells between Voldemort and Harry. And now they're just staring at each other with their wands pointed straight out and like both arms flexed out with these wands. And they're like, basically like who can, who can withstand the vibration and intensity of holding this spell up against the other one. Is this something you were expecting? No. I, how could you? I, I Right. And I thought, I guess, if I would have had to have guessed, it would have been like, you know, because like all those little ghosts of like past people that um, Voldemort has killed start like crawling out the end of the wand. Mm-hmm. Just like, what? But um, I was thinking that like, oh, okay, so Harry's parents are crawling out. They're going to like whisper like, say this spell. And think about this when you do it. Sure. And then he does it and like destroys Voldemort. Sure. Um, and I keep waiting for like Sirius to show up, which I thought really was going to happen, and it and it hasn't. Like, I kind of thought maybe Sirius would show up and be like, he would do a spell or he would throw his wand to Harry or something, and Harry would use Sirius's wand to kill him oh, or second one, yeah, maim maim him maybe. Mm-hmm. Seriously injured. So no, this this didn't. Yeah, this did not go down like I thought. And you, Moody, you is someone you also suggested might show up to rescue him. Yeah, no one has showed up that I thought would show up. And the other thing about said beam of golden light slash force field, there are like beads along the beam between the wands, mm-hmm. and like as they get closer to Harry. I think that translates into like Voldemort's kind of winning right? and his hand gets really hot and the wand starts shaking a lot. And then Harry's like, I need to hold it harder and try harder with yep. my mind. Yep. And then the beads start moving back towards Voldemort and he's got like a scared look on his face. And that's when the people start crawling out of the wand and listening to myself explain this out loud um, reinforces how ridiculous it is. <laughs> You're nailing but it though. This is what happened. It this is. is what I read. It doesn't like it. It's very. It is. It's vague. It's not like oh, I understand. Harry had more skill here, or like he, you know, he did this yeah, or that. It's, it's just not, like he pushed harder and wanted it. Yeah, it's not like this is the cause and this is the effect. It's like now we're in a golden dome and Harry's trying hard, and because of his will, he's beating Voldemort. Except. Not really beating him, he's just giving himself the chance to run. Because now his leg's good enough for him to run. Yeah, just for a little bit. Yeah. Which, like, people can do a lot of crazy stuff with adrenaline, mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. didn't bother me that much. Sure. So, yeah, Cedric shows up. And... Yeah, like, take my body to my parents. Mm-hmm. Who, who all do we have? Cedric, Harry's parents, Jertha Borkins... 
We have like an old man. Yeah. That does. It's like remains nameless. Well, do you remember the guy from the beginning of the book, the Muggle dude? Oh yeah, that found Nagini and Wormtail and Voldemort. Yeah. yeah, that guy. Oh, okay. So, do you have any theory as to why this is happening? Now that it's happened, can we like retroactively explain it at all? Um. The thought, I guess, was that he was using these people that he had killed recently to for power. And so as Harry was, like, sort of defeating him or starting to defeat him, like, that was the power draining from him. Interesting. He'd, he'd absorbed them like a Maleficent situation. Did you see any of those? Yeah. Remember how for a while there were just like a new Snow White Sleeping Beauty movie every year with Angelina Jolie and all of them for some reason? Yeah. Yeah. They all run together for me. I don't know which one is which, but doesn't one of them you absorb young people's like energy and that's how you stay young? Isn't that a thing? Did you see these? I I think so. I, I didn't really see any of them. I think... I think Hannah might have watched one or two. I don't I don't remember. I think Rachel watched it when she had her wisdom teeth out, I think, and I was like not paying attention. So that's kind of what that's what I'm equating your theory to, is that he was using them towards his own power. Yeah. Yeah, which I mean I don't know how well that stacks up because he he needed Harry's blood, he needed Wormtail's hand, and he needed the bones of his dad to, like, come back. I, I just didn't know if, like, he also needed to, like, kill some people to gain some sort of, like, spell-casting power or something. It's like you got your magic power, but, like, your physical body power is kind of a different thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe. It's not a strong theory, but it's the one I got. Yeah, no, that's all you can do. Um... So what ends up happening, right, is that Harry Harry pushes harder and then all those people just sort of, like, run at Voldemort, like, ah! And that gives Harry enough time to run away? I guess. This didn't seem like... This didn't seem like a super strong plot twist to me. Like it's got some holes? Just, I don't know. Maybe the movie helps this. I don't know if this happens in the movie, but like, I'm reading it thinking there's no way he had enough time to run. I don't know. I don't know how far he had to run, but like, I can't imagine him and Voldemort are that far apart right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's all explained away in that these shadowy figures are like blocking Voldemort's vision. And that's like, that's all we've got. Yeah. So it's a stretch. I, I'll go with it. It's fine. Especially cause there's it's a bunch happening. of other death eaters there. They're just like so surprised about what's happening that they don't stop him. Right. It's tough. So then Harry, so what about, so Cedric said, yeah, take my body back. Mm-hmm. But Harry can't really, like, that's too much weight. 
And so he uses his sick spell that he like uh, that he used, and I think the first task. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to kind of like magically bring the cup to him, so that he can just because that's the whole idea. You've got to get back to the port key, right? So, yeah, right. How about we just bring the port key to us? Well, it was smart of him to jump over the cup the first time, so that way he wouldn't touch it and trigger it before he had Cedric. Yeah, I guess I kind of forgot about that. That's he shows some impressive quick wit this chapter. Yeah, under pressure Harry thrives really. He does. Dame Lillard. So, what's about to happen? What's your best guesstimate? Ballpark. Um, I don't see any reason why Voldemort doesn't try to follow him. He's got his team of Death Eaters. He's back to power. Follow him where? I mean, I guess back to Hogwarts. No, actually, looking at what's left in the book, we don't have a whole lot left. We've got three chapters. Yeah. No, I, I don't think he does follow him. I think that this continues into the next book. Um, I think he comes back and tells everybody what happened. Um, but then there's, there's gotta be some sort of like reckoning here with Bagman and Karkaroff and so that'll be interesting. We're going to figure I don't know yeah. if like Dumbledore will banish them. I don't know if he has the authority to do that. I mean, if Harry can prove anything, then does Dumbledore have the authority to Send people to Azkaban? Well, I mean, it, that's like a court of law thing, but Dumbledore is on that. He's, he sits on that court. He's, he's one of the people that or votes. Like, it's a voting thing. I, I mean, the other side of this is you have to think that if, if Bagman is the guy behind it, him and Karkaroff both know what was going on, so they're going to be ready. Like, if something went wrong, like, Harry's going to come back and we got to we got to we got to be there to make sure he doesn't get away or get to Dumbledore. Oh, interesting. I don't know. the last line of defense. Right. Like you guys, you guys hang back at Hogwarts. I'm going to kill him. But if somebody comes to save him or something goes wrong, like you guys got to make sure he doesn't get to Dumbledore. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else you want to get to? I think we've covered it. All right. Um, so we're going to go ahead and read the next chapter here. Oh, all right. Yeah, I wanted. To, I thought that since we did, I told you last week that you'd be surprised for this week. You did tell me that. Yeah. All right. Are you surprised? Let's do it. You're surprised. I'm gonna. I'm. I am surprised. I. I thought. Is Nate still coming on Thursday? He. Uh. Nate has not been super responsive. Nate's been busy, I guess. Okay. So that's. Uh. It's up to Nate. All right. Well. Let's do it. I'm going to eat pizza while we read chapter 35. All right. I'm definitely, there's going to be, it's going to be pretty obvious what parts we need to stop and take a look at here, but there are spots that it's not just going to be like, wow, like I'm going to want to hear what you think. All right. Okay. Okay. Harry felt himself slam into the ground. His face was pressed. Oh, wait, first, just rewind, add marker. 
the chap the chapter title is Verita Serum. Does that mean anything to you? Uh, yes, we talked about that earlier. That is the stuff that Snape threatened to pour on him that will make him tell like the deepest lies that he's ever like. It's a truth. It's a truth potion stuff, right? Correct. Good. So, does that give you any guesses as what's about to happen here? Um, Harry is going to break into Snape's office and pour that stuff on Bagman mm. and Karkarov and maybe Snape. So that's that's how you do it because that way it proves that it's true. That's what I'm going with. Yeah, that's smart. Okay, Chapter Thirty Five: Veridiserum. Harry felt himself slam flat into the ground. His face was pressed into grass. The smell of it filled his nostrils. He had closed his eyes while the portkey transported him, and he kept them closed now. He did not move. All the breath seemed to have been knocked out of him. His head was swimming so badly he felt as though the ground beneath him were swaying like the deck of a ship. To hold himself steady, he tightened his hold on the two things he was still clutching, the smooth, cold handle of the Triwizard Cup and Cedric's body. He felt as though he would slide away into the blackness, gathering at the edge of his brain, if he let go of either of them. Shock and exhaustion kept him on the ground, breathing in the smell of the grass, waiting, waiting for someone to do something, something to happen. And all the while, his scar burned dully on his forehead. A torrent of sound deafened and confused him. There were voices everywhere, footsteps, screams. He remained where he was, his face screwed up against the noise as though it were a nightmare that would pass. Then a pair of hands seized him roughly and turned him over. Harry! Harry! He opened his eyes. He was looking up at the starry sky, and Albus Dumbledore was crouched over him. The dark shadows of a crowd pressed in around them, pushing nearer. Harry felt the ground beneath his head reverberating with their footsteps. He had come back to the edge of the maze. He could see the stands rising above him, the shapes of people moving in them, and the stars above. Harry let go of the cup, but he clutched Cedric to him even more tightly. He raised his free hand and seized Dumbledore's wrist, while Dumbledore's face swam in front, in and out of focus. He's back, Harry whispered. He's back. Voldemort. What's going on? What happened? The face of Cornelius Fudge appeared upside down over Harry. It looked white, appalled. My God! Diggory! It whispered. Dumbledore, he's dead. The words were repeated. The shadowy figures pressing in on them gasped it to those around them, and then others shouted it, screeched it, into the night. He's dead. He's dead. Cedric Diggory, dead. Harry let go of him, he heard Fudge's voice say, and he felt fingers trying to pry him from Cedric's limp body, but Harry wouldn't let him go. Then Dumbledore's face, which was still blurred and misted, came closer. Harry, you can't help him now. It's over. Let go. He wanted me to bring him back, Harry muttered. It seemed important to explain this. He wanted me to bring him back to his parents. That's right, Harry. Just let go now. Dumbledore bent down, and with extraordinary strength for a man so old and thin, raised Harry from the ground and set him on his feet. Harry swayed. His head was pounding. His injured leg would no longer support his weight. The crowd around them jostled, fighting to get closer, pressing darkly in on him. What's happened? What's wrong with him? Diggory's dead. He'll need to go to the hospital wing, Fudge was saying loudly. He's ill. He's injured. Dumbledore. Diggory's parents. They're here. They're in the stands. I'll take Harry, Dumbledore. I'll take him. No, I would prefer 
Dumbledore, Amos Diggory's running. He's coming over. Don't you think you should tell him before he sees? Harry, stay here. Girls were screaming, sobbing hysterically. The scene flickered oddly before Harry's eyes. It's all right, son. I've got you. Come on, hospital wing. Dumbledore said, stay, said Harry thickly, the pounding in his scar making him feel as though he was about to throw up. His vision was blurring worse than ever. You need to lie down. Come on now. Someone larger and stronger than he was was half pulling, half carrying him through the frightened crowd. Harry heard people gasping, screaming, and shouting as the man supporting him pushed a path through them, taking him back to the castle. Across the lawn, past the lake, and the Durmstrang ship, Harry heard nothing but the heavy breathing of the man helping him walk. "'What happened, Harry?' the man asked at last as he lifted Harry up the stone steps. Clunk. 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 It was Mad-Eye Moody. "'Cup was a port key,' said Harry, as they crossed the entrance hall. "'Took me and Cedric to a graveyard, and Voldemort was there. Lord Voldemort. Clunk. 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 Up the marble stairs. The Dark Lord was there? What happened then?' Killed Cedric. They killed Cedric. And then? Clunk. 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 Along the corridor. Made a potion. Got his body back. The Dark Lord got his body back? He's returned? And the Death Eaters came, and then we dueled. You dueled with the Dark Lord? Got away. My wand. Did something funny. I saw my mum and dad. They came out of his wand. In here, Harry. In here and sit down. You'll be all right now. Drink this. Harry heard a key scrape in a lock and felt a cup being pushed into his hands. Drink it. You'll feel better. Come on now, Harry. I need to know exactly what happened. Moody helped tip the stuff down Harry's throat. He coughed, a peppery taste burning his throat. Moody's office came into sharper focus, and so did Moody himself. He looked as white as Fudge had looked, and his eyes were fixed unblinkingly upon Harry's face. Voldemort's back, Harry? You're sure he's back? How did he do it? So if we pause here, we're we're glad that Moody's the one that got him, right? I think so. Mm-hmm. And so because I don't really I don't know who to trust right now. Well, the I idea, don't trust Fudge. We don't trust Fudge. We've never trusted Fudge. Don't trust. Yeah, don't trust Fudge at all. But I mean, if anyone can help Harry call out some Death Eaters, it's Mad Eye Moody, right? I th- I think so. Yeah. <laughs> You can't trust anyone, huh? Do we trust Dumbledore? Yeah, I, I think he's the only one I can trust. Okay. Yeah. He took stuff from his father's grave and from Wormtail and me, said Harry. His head felt clearer. His scar wasn't hurting so badly. He could now see Moody's face distinctly, even though the office was dark. He could still hear screaming and shouting from the distant Quidditch field. What did the Dark Lord take from you? said Moody. Blood said Harry, raising his arm. His sleeve was ripped where Wormtail's dagger had torn it. Moody let out his breath in a long, low hiss. And the Death Eaters? They returned? Yes, said Harry. Loads of them. How did he treat them? Moody asked qu- quietly. Did he forgive them? But Harry s- okay. suddenly remembered. Moody, I can't trust Moody. <laughs> Why not? He wants to know if he's been forgiven. Why? He's the one he's the one that mentioned that Voldemort mentioned is too cowardly to come back. Oh, interesting. What the heck? And so he's like, Oh, I should have gone back as he was forgiven. 
like Voldemort was forgiving, so I should have gone back. Okay. But Harry had suddenly remembered. He should have told Dumbledore. He should have said it straight away. There's a Death Eater at Hogwarts. There's a Death Eater here. They put my name in the Goblet of Fire. They made sure I got through to the end. Harry tried to get up, but Moody pushed him back down. I know who the Death Eater is, he said quietly. Karkaroff? said Harry wildly. Where is he? Have you got him? Is he locked up? Karkaroff? said Moody with an odd laugh. Karkaroff fled tonight when he felt the Dark Lord's when he felt the dark mark burn upon his arm. He betrayed too many faithful supporters of the Dark Lord to wish to meet them, but I doubt he will get far. The Dark Lord has ways of tracking his enemies. Mm, Kar- I'm wrong. Karkaroff's gone? He ran away? So why are you wrong? Uh, Well, if if Moody's telling the truth, like that's that's the coward, like I said, to start. So. Sure. So you were right about that. As far as we know right now. Well, half right. Karkaroff's gone? He ran away? But then he didn't put my name in the goblet? No, said Moody slowly. No, he didn't. It was I who did that. Nothing there? Oh, boy. (laughs) What the heck is going on? Okay, keep reading. Harry heard, but didn't believe. No, you didn't, he said. You didn't do that. You can't have done. I assure you I did, said Moody, and his magical eye swung around and fixed upon the door, and Harry knew he was making sure there was no one outside it. At the same time, Moody drew out his wand and pointed it at Harry. He forgave them then, he said, the Death Eaters who went free, the ones who escaped Azkaban? What? What the fuck? Said Harry. <laughs> I like to imagine Harry going, what? Like, <laughs> what? I, what? He was looking at the wand and Moody was pointing at him. This was a bad joke. It had to be. Because, right? Like, Harry's not going to survive this. No. I asked you, said Moody quietly, whether he forgave the scum who never even went back to look for him those treacherous cowards who wouldn't even brave Azkaban for him, the faithless, worthless bits of filth who were brave enough to cavort in masks at the Quidditch World Cup, but fled at the sight of the dark mark when I fired it into the sky. I am confused. (laughs) So is Harry. You fired... What are you talking about? I told you, Harry. I told you. If there's one thing I hate more than any other, it's a Death Eater who walked free. He did say that. He did say that. They turned their backs on my master when he needed them most. I expected him to punish them. I expected him to torture them. Tell me he hurt them, Harry. Moody's face was suddenly lit with an insane smile. Tell me he told them that I... I alone remained faithful, prepared to risk everything to deliver him the one thing he wanted above all. You. You didn't... It... It can't be you. Who put your name in the Goblet of Fire under the name of a different school? I did. Who frightened off every person I thought might try to hurt you or prevent you from winning the tournament? I did. Who nudged Hagrid into showing you the dragons? I did. 
Who helped you see the only way you could beat the dragon? I did. Moody's magical eye had now left the door. It was fixed upon Harry. His lopsided mouth leered more widely than ever. Stop me at any time here, if you have any thoughts. I just don't know. I literally can't trust anyone in these freaking books. <laughs> it hasn't been easy, Harry, guiding you through these tasks without arousing suspicion. I have had to use every ounce of cunning I possess so that my hand would not be detectable in your success. Dumbledore would have been very suspicious if you had managed everything too easily. As long as you got into the maze, preferably with a decent head start, then I knew I would have a chance of getting rid of the other champions and leaving your way clear. But I also had to contend with your stupidity. The second task, that was when I was most afraid we would fail. I was keeping watch on you, Potter. I knew you hadn't worked out the egg's clue, so I had to give you another hint. You didn't, Harry said hoarsely. Cedric gave me the clue. Who told Cedric to open it underwater? I did. I trusted that he would pass the information on to you. Decent people are so easy to manipulate, Potter. I was sure Cedric would want to repay you for telling him about the dragons, and so he did. But even then, Potter, even then you seemed likely to fail. I was watching all the time, all those hours in the library. Didn't you realize that the book you needed was in your dormitory all along? I planted it there early on. I gave it to the Longbottom boy, don't you remember? Magical water plants of the Mediterranean. It would have told you all about all you need to know about Gillyweed. I expected you to ask everyone and anyone you could for help. Longbottom would have told you in an instant, but you did not. You did not. You have a streak of pride and independence that might have ruined all. So what could I do? Feed you information from another innocent source. You told me at the Yule Ball a house elf called Dobby had given you a Christmas present. I called the elf into the staff room to collect some robes for cleaning. I staged a loud conversation with Professor McGonagall about the hostages who had been taken and whether Potter would think to use gillyweed. And your little elf friend ran straight to Snape's office and then hurried to find you. Moody's wand was still pointing directly at Harry's heart. Over his shoulder, foggy shapes were moving in the faux glass on the wall. So Moody's just explaining everything that we've been suspicious of all book, right? Yeah, this is a lot to consume. He went to, like, great lengths. Yeah, he... And, like... No, go on. I, I, I don't want to continue throwing Dumbledore under the bus. But again, like... What the heck is going on with his hiring skills? <laughs> he, like... Dumbledore super trusted this guy. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he should be in charge of that anymore. This is a bad mistake. You got to let like Snape and McGonagall dual hire people. Probably. I'm not ready to say Snape. We haven't figured out what's going to happen with him yet. No, that's true. You were so long in that lake, Potter. I thought you had drowned. But luckily, Dumbledore took your idiocy for nobility and marked you high for it. I breathed again. You had an easier time of it than you should have in the mace night, of course. I was patrolling around it, able to see through the outer hedges, able to curse many obstacles out of your way. I stunned Fleur Delacour as she passed. I put the imperious curse on Crumb so that he would finish Diggory and leave your path to the cup clear. Do you remember that you specifically said you thought there would be more obstacles? Yeah, yeah. It's all coming together now. Harry stared at Moody. He just didn't see how this could be. Dumbledore's friend. 
the famous Auror, the one who had caught so many Death Eaters, it made no sense, no sense at all. The foggy shapes in the faux glass were sharpening, had become more distinct. Harry could see the outline of three people over Moody's shoulder, moving closer and closer. But Moody wasn't watching them. His magical eye was upon Harry. Do we care about the faux glass? What is the faux glass again? Should I know what that is? The Dark Lord didn't manage to kill you, Potter, and, and he so wanted to, whispered Moody. The Dark Lord didn't manage to kill you. Imagine how he will reward me when he finds I have done it for him. I gave you to him, the thing he needed above all to regenerate, and then I killed you for him. I will be honored beyond all other Death Eaters. I will be his dearest, his closest supporter, closer than a son. Harry's normal eye was bulging, the magical eye fixed upon Harry. The door was barred, and Harry knew he would never reach his own wand in time. The Dark Lord and I, said Moody, and he looked completely insane now, towering over Harry, leaning down, leering down at him, have much in common. Both of us, for instance, had very disappointing fathers. Very disappointing indeed. Both of us suffered the indignity, Harry, of being named after those fathers, and both of us had the pleasure, the very great pleasure, of killing our fathers to ensure the continued rise of the Dark Order. You're mad, Harry said. He couldn't stop himself. You're mad. What is, what's with the fathers? Do you have any guesses there? Uh, guesses as to what? I don't know. I just didn't know if you've got anything to say. <laughs> any, any, any light bulbs um, going off? They probably should be, but no, it's, it's not ringing any bells right now. That's okay. Mad am I, said Moody, his voice rising uncontrollably. We'll see. We'll see who's mad now that the Dark Lord has returned with me at his side. He is back, Harry Potter. You did not conquer him, and now I conquer you. Moody raised his wand. He opened his mouth. Harry plunged his own hand into his robes. Stupefy! There was a blinding flash of red light, and with a great splintering and crashing, the door of Moody's office was blasted apart. Moody was thrown... Serious. <laughs> Ooh! Moody was thrown backward into the office floor. Harry, still staring at the place where Moody's face had been, saw Albus Dumbledore, Professor Snape, and Professor McGonagall looking back at him out of the faux glass. He looked around and saw the three of them standing in the doorway, Dumbledore in front, his wand outstretched. Wow. <laughs> I just, like, why is Snape there? At that moment. Gosh, dang it. Dang it? Why dang it? I can't figure this out. Oh. I just, I can't figure out the freaking book. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you had this, it's it wouldn't be thing. fun. Yeah, it's a good thing. At that moment. It's just everything that I yeah. had believed is being like flipped on its head right now. So, Like twice. It's like it's flipped and then flipped back and right. then flipped back. <laughs> right. It's like just when I get like my equilibrium back, I get flipped over again. So, all right, let's keep going. At that moment, Harry fully understood for the first time why people said Dumbledore was the only wizard Voldemort had ever feared. The look upon Dumbledore's face as he stared down at the unconscious form of Mad-Eye Moody was more terrible than Harry could have ever imagined. There was no benign smile upon Dumbledore's face, no twinkle in the eyes behind the spectacles. 
There was cold fury in every line of the ancient face. A sense of power radiated from Dumbledore as though he were giving off burning heat. He stepped into the office, placed a foot underneath Moody's unconscious body, Moody's unconscious body, and kicked him over onto his back so that his face was visible. Snape followed him, looking into the faux glass, where his own face was still visible, glaring into the room. Professor McGonagall went straight to Harry. Come along, Potter, she whispered. The thin line of her mouth was twitching as though she was about to cry. Come along, hospital wing. No, said Dumbledore sharply. Dumbledore, he ought to. Look at him. He's been through enough tonight. He will stay, Minerva, because he needs to understand, said Dumbledore curtly. Understanding is the first step to acceptance, and only with acceptance can there be recovery. He needs to know who has put him through the ordeal he has suffered tonight and why. Moody, said Harry. He was still in a state of complete disbelief. How can it have been Moody? This is not Alastor Moody, said Dumbledore quietly. You have never known Alastor Moody. The real Moody would not have removed you from my sight after what happened tonight. The moment he took you, I knew, and I followed. What? What? <laughs> Talk. I can't. <laughs> there, I am at a loss. I. What do you mean this is not Alastair Moody? Then who the frick is it? <laughs> Dumbledore bent down over Moody's limp form. Okay, wait, pause. So to be clear... Dumbledore didn't say, oh, I knew all along this wasn't Moody. He said, I knew tonight when he took you from my sight. So if this isn't Moody, he's been doing a darn good Moody impression, right? Right, right. So that's what's confusing. Right. (laughs) Dumbledore bent down over Moody's limp form and put a hand inside his robes. He pulled out Moody's hip flask and and a set of keys on a ring. Then he turned to Professors McGonagall and Snape. Severus, please fetch me the strongest truth potion you possess, and then go down to the kitchens and bring up the house elf called Winky. Should we just pause right there? Interesting. Minerva, kindly go down to Hagrid's house, where you will find a large black dog sitting in the pumpkin patch. (laughs) That's where we keep the black dog. (laughs) As as one does. Take the dog up to my office, tell him I will be with him shortly, then come back here. (laughs) Uh, That's fun. That's a lot of fun. If either Snape or McGonagall found these instructions peculiar, they hid their confusion. McGonagall's like, classic Dumbledore. (laughs) Yes, sir. I guess I'll just do this random freaking Dumbledore thing. Always making me just go get dogs. I have to go to bring him to the office and tell him what's going on. <laughs> okay, dog. Um, sit. Stay. Wait for Dumbledore. Here's a treat. <laughs> Both turned at once and left the office. Dumbledore walked over to the trunk with seven locks, fitted the first key in the lock, and opened it. It contained a mass of spell books. Dumbledore closed the trunk, placed a second key in the second lock, and opened the trunk again. The spellbooks had vanished. This time it contained an assortment of broken sneakoscopes, some parchment and quills, and what looked like a silvery invisibility cloak. Harry watched, astounded, as Dumbledore placed the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth keys in their respective locks, reopening the trunk, and each time revealing different contents. 
So magic trunk. Yeah, I have, I have no idea what to do with this. <laughs> then he placed the seventh key in the lock, threw open the lid, and Harry let out a cry of amazement. He was looking down into a kind of pit, an underground room, and lying on the floor some ten feet below, apparently fast asleep, thin and starved in appearance, was the real Mad-Eye Moody. His wooden leg was gone. The socket that should have held the magical eye looked empty beneath its lid. Uh, and chunks of his grizzled hair were missing. Harry stared, thunderstruck, between the sleeping Moody in the trunk and the unconscious Moody lying on the floor of the office. Dumbledore climbed into the trunk. <laughs> Off we go. Oh, well, I guess I'm getting in this trunk now. Didn't think that was what I was doing with my evening. Minerva, have you gotten the dog? <laughs> you get the dog? Okay, now help me with this trunk, body. Climbed into the trunk, lowered himself, and fell lightly onto the floor beside the sleeping Moody. Love, just anytime Dumbledore's described doing anything athletic, I'm, just, I'm here for it. Yeah. Love an old athletic guy. Love Roger Absolutely. Federer, you know? <laughs> yes. He bent over him, stunned, controlled by the imperious curse. Very weak, he said, to no one in particular. <laughs> Minerva, the dog! <laughs> What's taking you so long with the dog? He is a good boy. The meatloaf, mom! <laughs> Man! <laughs> of course, they would have needed to keep him alive. Harry, throw down the imposter's cloak. He's freezing. Madame Pomfrey will need to see him, but he seems in no immediate danger. Harry did as he was told. He's like, okay. Dumbledore, Dumbledore covered Moody in the cloak, tucked it around him, and clambered back out of the trunk again. Are there steps? I don't... It was yeah, ten, feet, I, 10 feet below. I sort of assumed that he just kind of hovers everywhere. Yeah. Okay, then he picked up the hip flask that stood upon the desk, unscrewed it, and turned it over. A thick, glutinous liquid splattered onto the office floor. Polyjuice potion, Harry, said Dumbledore. Does that ring a bell with you? It should, but I can't remember what exactly that does. Okay, well, Dumbledore will tell you. You see okay. the simplicity of it and the brilliance. For Moody never does drink except from his hip flask. He's well known for it. The imposter needed, of course, to keep the real Moody close by so that he could continue making the potion. You see his hair. Dumbledore looked down on the Moody in the trunk. The imposter has been cutting it off all year. See where it is uneven? But I think, in the excitement of tonight, our fake Moody might have forgotten to take it as frequently as he should have done. On the hour, every hour. We shall see. Do you remember now what Polyjuice Potion does? Um, Sometimes it turns Hermione into a cat. Yes. Okay. Okay, yeah. So somebody's been drinking Essence of Mad-Eye Moody every hour for an entire school year. Gross. Yeah. Dumbledore pulled out the chair at the desk and sat down upon it his eyes fixed upon the unconscious Moody on the floor. Harry stared at him, too. Minutes passed in silence. 
what is going on? They're watching two unconscious bodies, figuring out which one is going to not be moody eventually. Then, before Harry's very eyes, the face of the man on the floor began to change. The scars were disappearing. The skin was becoming smooth. The mangled nose became whole and started to shrink. The long mane of grizzled gray hair was withdrawing into the scalp and turning the color of straw. Suddenly, with a loud clunk, the wooden leg fell away as a normal leg regrew in its place. Next moment, the magical eyeball had popped out of the man's face as a real eye replaced it. It rolled away across the floor and continued to swivel in every direction. Harry saw a man lying before him, pale-skinned, slightly freckled, with a mop of fair hair. He knew who he was. He had seen him in Dumbledore's pensive, had watched him being led away from court by the Dementors, trying to convince Mr. Crouch that he was innocent, that he was lined around the eyes now and looked much older. There were hurried footsteps outside in the corridor. Snape had returned with Winky at his heels. Professor McGonagall was right behind them. Crouch, Snape said, stopping dead in the doorway. Barty Crouch. Good heavens, said Professor McGonagall, (laughs) stopping dead and staring down at the man on the floor. Filthy, disheveled, winky, who's here. You know, it's all the important people. Dead, moody, (laughs) sleeping, not moody, Dumbledore, Harry, Snape, McGonagall, a dog, and and winky. The gang's all here. (laughs) The Sept Squad. Filthy, disheveled Winky peered around Snape's legs. Her mouth opened wide, and she let out a piercing shriek. Master Barty! Master Barty! What is you doing here? She flung herself forward onto the young man's chest. You has killed him! You has killed him! You has killed Master's son! He is simply stunned, Winky, said Dumbledore. Step aside, please. Severus, you have the potion? Snape handed Dumbledore a small glass bottle of completely clear liquid, the Verita serum with which he had threatened Harry in class. Dumbledore got up, uh, Dumbledore got up, bent over the man on the floor, and pulled him into a sitting position against the wall beneath the faux glass, in which the reflections of Dumbledore, Snape, and McGonagall were still glaring down upon them all. Winky remained on her knees, trembling, her hands over her face. Dumbledore forced the man's mouth open and poured three drops inside. Then he pointed his wand at the man's chest and said, Renovate. Crouch's son opened his eyes. His face was slack, his gaze unfocused. Dumbledore knelt before him so that their faces were level. Can you hear me? Dumbledore asked quietly. The man's eyelids flickered. Yes, he muttered. I would like you to tell us, said Dumbledore softly, how you came to be here. How did you escape from Azkaban? Crouch took a deep, shuddering breath, then began to speak in a flat, expressionless voice. My mother saved me. She knew she was dying. She persuaded my father to rescue me as a last favor to her. He loved her as he had never loved me. He agreed. They came to visit me. They gave me a draught of polyjuice potion containing one of my mother's hairs. She took a draught of polyjuice potion containing one of my hairs. We took on each other's appearance. Winky was shaking her head, trembling. Say no more, Master Barty. Say no more. You was getting your father in trouble. 
But Crouch took another deep breath and continued in the same flat voice. The Dementors are blind. They sensed one healthy, one dying person entering Azkaban. They sensed one healthy, one dying person leaving it. My father smuggled me out, disguised as my mother, in case any prisoners were watching through their doors. My mother died a short while afterwards in Azkaban. She was careful to drink Polyjuice Potion until the end. She was buried under my name and bearing my appearance. Everyone believed her to be me. The man's eyelids flickered. And what did your father do with you when he had got you home? Staged my mother's death. A quiet, private funeral. That grave is empty. The house elf nursed me back to health. Then I had to be concealed. I had to be controlled. My father had to use a number of spells to subdue me. When I had recovered my strength, I thought only of finding my master, of returning to his service. How did your father subdue you? said Dumbledore. The imperious curse, Crouch said. I was under my father's control. I was forced to wear an invisibility cloak day and night. I was always with the house elf. She was my keeper and caretaker. She pitied me. She persuaded my father to give me occasional treats, rewards for my good behavior. So let's pause here. Where are you at? I'm pretty dumbfounded. I I did mention back when we were in the scene yeah. with Harry and the pensive that I didn't think Crouch's son was dead. That's true. This is not how I thought that would happen. But... Yeah, I think you said he might come I, back as a ghost. Yeah, something like that. I'm yeah, I'm still struggling to piece together how this like so is Crouch's son still a death eater? Was he actually a death eater? Well, he said know. all I thought about was I thought only of finding my master of returning to his service. Uh, okay. All right. So how, that's just interesting though. Cause like the scene that was painted in the courts was that he was innocent, just the way he reacted and everything and way, the way his mom reacted. Yeah, he's the only one that wasn't like proud of it. Yeah. So that was, I was really thrown off by that. Interesting. Master Barty, Master Barty, sobbed Winky through her hands. You isn't ought to tell them we is getting in trouble. I should be squeaking more. Master Barty, Master Barty, you isn't ought to tell them. I can't do that. That's not an option. <laughs> Did anybody ever discover that you were still alive? Said Dumbledore softly. Did anyone know except your father and the house elf? Yes, said Crouch, his eyelids flickering again. A witch in my father's office. Bertha Jorkins. Jertha Borkins. <laughs> she came to my father's house with papers for my father's signature. He was not home. Winky showed her inside and returned to the kitchen, to me. But Bertha Jorkins heard Winky talking to me. She came to investigate. She heard enough to guess who was hiding under the invisibility cloak. My father arrived home. She confronted him. My father arrived home. I already read that line. She put a very powerful memory charm on her to, to make her forget what she had found out. Too powerful. He said it damaged her memory permanently. 
Why is she coming to nose into my master's private business? Sobbed Winky. Why isn't she leaving us be? Tell me about the Quidditch World Cup, said Dumbledore, which just keeps coming back. Like, everyone keeps talking about it, and we haven't cared in a while. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, we need to care. Yeah, apparently. Winky talked to my father. (laughs) What? Apparently. (laughs) You've never seen that. No, I have not. I don't know what you're referencing. Okay. Okay. Winky talked my father into it, said Crouch, still in the same monotone voice. I could be more monotonous. She spent months persuading him. I had not left the house for years. I had loved Quidditch. Let him go, she said. He will be in his invisibility cloak. He can watch. Let him smell fresh air for once. She said my mother would have wanted it. She told my father that my mother had died to give me freedom. She had not saved me for a life of imprisonment. He agreed in the end. It was carefully planned. My father led me and Winky up to the top box early in the day. Winky was to say that she was saving a seat for my father. I was to sit there, invisible. When everyone had left the box, we would emerge. Winky would appear to be alone. Nobody would ever know. But Winky didn't know that I was growing stronger. I was starting to fight my father's imperious curse. There were times when I was almost myself again. There were brief periods when, it seemed, when I seemed outside his control. It happened, there, in the top box. It was like waking from a deep sleep. I found myself out in public in the middle of the match, and I saw, in front of me, a wand sticking out of a boy's pocket. I had not been allowed a wand since Azkaban. I stole it. Winky didn't know. Winky is frightened of heights. She had her face hidden. Master Barty, you bad boy, whispered Winky, tears trickling between her fingers. So you took the wand, said Dumbledore, and what did you do with it? We went back to the tent, said Crouch. Then we heard them. We heard the Death Eaters, the ones who had never been to Azkaban, the ones who had never suffered from my master. They had turned their backs on him. They were not enslaved, as I was. They were free to seek him, but they did not. They were merely making sport of muggles. The sound of their voices awoke me. My mind was clearer than it had been in years. I was angry. I had the wand. I wanted to attack them for their disloyalty to my master. My father had left the tent. He had gone to free the muggles. Winky was afraid to see me so angry. She used her own brand of magic to bind me to her. She pulled me from the tent, pulled me into the forest, away from the Death Eaters. I tried to hold her back. I wanted to return to the campsite. I wanted to show those Death Eaters what loyalty to the Dark Lord meant and to punish them for their lack of it. I used the stolen wand to cast the Dark Mark into the sky. Ministry wizards arrived. They shot stunning spells everywhere. One of the spells came through the trees where Winky and I stood. The bond connecting us was broken. We were both stunned. When Winky was discovered, my father knew I must be nearby. He searched the bushes where she had been found and found me lying there. He waited until the other ministry members had left the forest. He put me back under the Imperious Curse and took me home. He dismissed Winky. She had failed him. She had let me acquire a wand. She had almost let me escape. Now, it was... Wait, do you have thoughts? So, house elves can do magic? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Dobby, like, zips in and out. He shows up at Harry's house and steals letters from him. Yeah, I forget about that. Okay. Now it was just father and I alone in the house. And then 
And then Crouch's head rolled on his neck and an insane grin spread across his face. My master came for me. So you're, you're, you're Cardi B, you're chilling at home with your crazy son, and Voldemort knocks on the door. <laughs> what up, fam? <laughs> what do you do? He arrived Thanks. at our house late one night in the arms of, our, of his servant, Wormtail. My master had found out that I was still alive. He had captured Jertha Borkins in Albania. He had tortured her. She had told him a great deal. She told him about the Triwizard Tournament. She told him the old Auror, Moody, was going to teach at Hogwarts. She tortured, he tortured her until he broke through the memory charm my father had placed upon her. She told him I had escaped from Azkaban. She told him my father kept me imprisoned to prevent me from seeking my master. And so my master knew that I was still his faithful servant. Perhaps the most faithful of all? Like, I'm not going to say it, but like you could say it, you know? That I was the best servant? <laughs> wow. Okay. Not Bagman. Not Bagman. <laughs> Not Bagman. My master conceived a plan based upon the information Bertha had given him. He needed me. He arrived at our house near midnight. My father answered the door. So, Bertha Jorkins, the least convenient person. Like, if Wormtail had found anybody else, we wouldn't know about that Crouch Jr. was still a thing. Yeah, so Wormtail still sucks. Yeah. Wow. The smile spread wider over Crouch's face, as though recalling the sweetest memory of his life. Winky's petrified brown eyes were visible through her fingers. She seemed too appalled to speak. It was very quick. My master had placed was placed un, mm, ah, okay. My father was placed under the Imperious curse by my master. Now my father was the one imprisoned, controlled. My master forced him to go about his business as usual, to act as though nothing was wrong. And I was released. I awoke. I was myself again, alive as I hadn't been in years. And what did Lord Voldemort ask you to do? said Dumbledore. He asked me whether I was ready to risk everything for him. I was ready. It was my dream, my greatest ambition, to serve him, to prove myself to him. He told me he needed me. He needed to place a faithful servant at Hogwarts a servant who would guide Harry Potter through the Triwizard Tournament without appearing to do so. A servant who would watch over Harry Potter, ensure he would reach the Triwizard Cup, turn the cup into a port key, which would take the first person to touch it to my master. But first, you needed Alastor Moody, said Dumbledore. His blue eyes were blazing, though his face remained calm. His voice. Wormtail and I did it. We had prepared the Polyjuice Potion beforehand. We journeyed to his house. Moody put up a struggle. Then there was a commotion. We managed to subdue him just in time. Forced him into a compartment of his own magical trunk. Took some of his hair and added it to the potion. I drank it. I became Moody's double. I took his leg and his eye. I was ready to face Arthur Weasley when he arrived to sort out the muggles who had heard a disturbance. I made the dustbins move about the yard. I told Arthur Weasley I'd heard intruders in my yard who had set off the dustbins. Then I packed up Moody's clothes and dark detectors put them in the trunk with Moody, and set off for Hogwarts. I kept him alive under the Imperious Curse, and wanted to be able to question him, to find out about his past, learn his habits, so that I could fool even Dumbledore. I also needed his hair to make the Polyjuice Potion. The other ingredients were easy. I stole Boomslang skin from the dungeons. When the ma Potions Master found me in his office, I said I was under orders to search it. I like to think this is where Harry looks at Snape and he's like, See... It wasn't me stealing mm. from you. 
Yeah, and Snape probably just like flips him off. Shut up. Crossing <laughs> lines. Quit crossing lines, Potter. <laughs> I keep waiting for Snape to butt in. Like, but Harry's not innocent here, <laughs> right? Because he crosses lines. Like he gets Crouch gets done with the whole story, and he's like, "It is possible that Potter was in the wrong place at the wrong time, <laughs> but." He probably crossed the line somewhere. And what became of Wormtail after you attacked Moody? A oh, Wormtail returned to care for my master in my father's house and to keep watch over my father. But your father escaped, said Dumbledore. Yes. After a while, he began to fight the Imperius curse, just as I had done. There were periods when he knew what was happening. My master decided it was no longer safe for my father to leave the house. He forced him to send letters to the ministry instead. He made him write and say he was ill. But Wormtail neglected his duty. He was not watchful enough. My father escaped. Wormtail was bad at it, and he left. My master guessed that he was heading for Hogwarts. My father was going to tell Dumbledore everything to confess. He was going to admit that he had smuggled me from Azkaban. My master sent me word of my father's escape. He told me to stop him at all costs. So I waited and watched. I used the map I had taken from Harry Potter. The map that had almost ruined everything. Map, said Dumbledore quickly. What map? I don't. Oh, map. no. Potter's map of Hogwarts. Potter saw me on it. Potter saw me stealing more ingredients for the polyjuice potion from Snape's office one night. He thought that I was my father. We have the same first name. I took the map from Potter that night. I told him that my father hated dark wizards. Potter believed that my father was after Snape. You know, I just told him some stuff and Potter believed me. For a week, I waited for my father to arrive at Hogwarts. At last, one evening, the map showed my father entering the grounds. I pulled on my invisibility cloak and went down to meet him. He was walking around the edge of the forest. Then Potter came, and crumb. I waited. I could not hurt Potter. My master needed him. Potter ran to get Dumbledore. I stunned crumb. I killed my father. <laughs> and that's that. So that's what happened. No! wailed Winky. Master Barty, Master Barty, what is you saying? You killed your father, Dumbledore said in the same soft voice. What did you do with the body? So any thoughts at this point? Barty C. Jr.? Lil Barty C. Lil Cardi, Lil Barty C. Dang. Yeah, I... That's off to you once again, JKR. You got me. Is it? Does it all fit together, Great. or is it? Is it a stretch? Um, I wouldn't call it a stretch. It's I don't know. I'm still hung up on the fact that like actual Barty Crouch was okay with sending his wife into prison to die. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. It's weird. It's a little bit of a stretch. This is all very weird. Yeah. Is it? So the reason that we're doing this is because people want to hear you experience just for the first time. We, I want to. I want to hear it like these balls like click down. The puzzle pieces click down in your mind. That's like oh, and then oh, the map, and then all oh, the the potion ingredients. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm doing all of that, just not allowed. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. 
carried it into the forest, covered it with the invisibility cloak. I had the map with me. I watched Potter run into the castle. He met Snape. Dumbledore joined them. I watched Potter bring Dumbledore out of the castle. I walked back out of the forest, doubled around behind them, went to meet them. I told Dumbledore Snape had told me where to come. Dumbledore told me to go and look for my father. I went back to my father's body, watched the map. When everyone was gone, I transfigured my father's body. He became a bone. I buried it while wearing the invisibility cloak in the freshly dug earth in front of Hagrid's cabin. Oh, no. So Hagrid dug the grave for him. Yeah, he got nifflered. <laughs> wow. So... I don't know. I guess I'm hoping moving forward, either in this book or in the next book, we learn more about this guy's background, how he grew up. Like, how did he become such a faithful follower of Voldemort? Yeah, especially being raised by such anti-Voldemort people. Right. So that's hard to, like, take in right now is we didn't really know anything about this guy. He was kind of, like, offhandedly mentioned in the court scenes of that chapter, and all of a sudden now he's the villain of this book. But it's so. it's wild how he ties into every single plot line we thought was going on through this book. Yes. Bertha Jorkins, he's there. Wormtail going to get Voldemort, he's there. Frickin' Crazy Barty Crouch and Letters to Weatherby, he's there. Qu- uh, Quidditch World Cup. Dark Mark in the sky. Harry's missing wand. Yeah. He's the one who stole the wand. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. And it's kind of crazy. Like, I had a weird feeling about Winky, but this was not. Like, Winky was there, too. Yeah. For everything. Mm Mm-hmm. And you just didn't know why. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Right. Dang. There was complete silence now, except for Winky's continued sobs. Then Dumbledore said, And tonight. I offered to carry the Triwizard Cup into the maze before dinner, whispered Barty Crouch. Turned it into a port key. My master's plan worked. He has returned to power, and I will be honored by him beyond the dreams of wizards. The insane smile lit his features once more, and his head drooped onto his shoulder as Winky wailed and sobbed at his side. Yikes. <laughs> Zoinks. So just like that, with a few drops of some potion, he spills not just some of the beans, but literally all the beans. More beans than you thought could be spilled. Beans we didn't even know about. Magical beans. So, man, where do we go from here? It's a good question for you. So, in your mind, Bag- I mean, Voldemort's still out there. Is Bagman off the hook for you? Not quite yet. Not quite yet. I'm not as suspicious of him as I was. He might just be kind of an idiot now. But, man, it's almost, it's almost disappointing. Why so? Um, I just wanted it to be like, like a Bagman or a Snape or 
I don't know, a character that I had put more time and thought into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's, it's interesting, but it's like, I almost feel like I don't even know who this guy is and he's the villain. He did all of it. Yeah. So it's almost un- weird. It's unearned almost. Yeah. That's the way it feels, I guess. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to describe. Interesting. I think you're supposed yeah. to, I mean, at different times you, you trusted Moody. You were, we were in on Moody. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been out on Moody. And so I think that's the goal from a writer's perspective is that you would be enough in on Moody that when it looks like he's the bad guy, then that's a real meaningful betrayal for you. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely was. And then, so there's that. Short time. And so that's almost like, whoa, Moody's the bad guy. And then, and so for you, it almost takes away from it that it was someone pretending to be Moody. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I don't know. It just, it doesn't feel as meaningful, I guess, is the best way I can put it. Mm-hmm. That it was just like a character I don't know anything about. Yeah, it's tough to flip a whole book on that, on a character that you're just meeting and it, it's yeah. tough to make that feel earned. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's like, I don't like the way it's written or I don't like the way it ended. Like it's, it's a very like pulling off the mask Scooby-Doo ending. It is. Yeah, it is. Well, um, what makes it interesting is now if you're good, if you, you almost want to just go back and reread it and see if you can pick up on like, why would Moody say this and that? Cause it's not really Moody. Yes. Yes. No, that's, that, that was going through my mind a little bit. Like there's, I feel like there's so much I missed now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's like, that's almost on purpose because now it's not so much yeah. that like, wow, what a satisfying ending. It's like, okay. This is changing everything I thought I knew about the book. So, like, I'm going to have to think about, like, what this does. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think that's why, like, you know, you were talking about, hey, I need to hear some more reaction from you. And, like, as you're reading it, it's like, did I even freaking read this book? <laughs> do you even lift? You know what I mean? Do you even lift? Yeah. Like, do you, do you even read? Do you even Harry Potter, bro? Do you even Moody? Um, How could you not have figured out it was Barty Crouch Jr. the whole time? Right, right. So I think that's where I'm I'm like I'm like sprinting in my brain trying to catch up yeah. and trying to like yeah. think back like what did I miss? Where what what quotes were weird and I didn't realize they were weird and I mean the best one that it gives you is I told you Potter, I there's nothing I hate more than a death eater who walked free. And you think that's because all he thinks all that theater should be in jail, but it's really because if you walked free, you didn't try hard enough to serve Voldemort. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, there's that's what I mean. I can't get over the fact that it's like kind of like you said, like you almost feel like you need to read it again with this perspective. Like how you know, it just it flips the book totally on its head mm-hmm. and it's cool. Like I respect it. And I like, I like that, that it's not just an easy ending. And like, it's, yeah, I, I'm describing that it feels disappointing, but it's not disappointing. It's just, it's so far removed from anything I could have like 
tried to guess or was or was catching on to as we went that it's like it's a total like I'm having to reset my entire perspective on the book. <laughs> so yeah, there's like you said, there's stuff that you pick up because when you reread it, you're like, okay, I see you talking about you know Imperio and Harry being able to throw it off because like the climax involves two different people throwing off the Imperius curse, you know. And we got a lot of Imperius yeah. curse groundwork. We got we got Polyjuice potion groundwork two books ago. Yes. So I think right now, more than anything, I am impressed with JKR's writing. Yeah, it's the planning. It is. It's... And I like that because that's what... So like one of my favorite books growing up, and I'll probably get raked across the coals by some for this, but like Holes. Oh, Holes, yeah. I loved... I loved holes because at the end it's like everything came together mm -hmm. and there's all these weird clues that you didn't really understand at the time. Mm -hmm. And like, mm -hmm. they, like the puzzle all falls into place at the same time at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. And like, that's what she's doing here. It's just, it's not one book. So you have to really keep, you have to keep everything that you're learning in a compartment as you move forward. <laughs> you do. <laughs> Which, is good. I like that. I mean, she's just tricking you into reading a mystery novel by putting magic in it. Like it's just, you know, it's yep. it's mystery. It's misdirection yeah. and twists and Yeah. Yeah, and I'm liking, you know, we talked about before we started this book how everyone was kind of telling me that she steps up the I guess maturity yeah. of the books yeah. in this one and I'm definitely like starting to feel that. Yeah, Barty Crouch is great. Like this guy, I mean, you know, his an insane smile lit his features once more. Like this is the craziest Voldemort dude we've met so far, right? I mean, Wormtail was yeah. like slimy and like two faced, but this guy is like like Joker level. Like I'm just crazy. Yeah, and that's yeah. dark. That's dark. Like we're starting to do. Yeah, that's exactly. It's starting to get darker and like. I don't know. It's... I mean, someone died. Yeah, it's like we're not playing around anymore. It's a little more... It's got a little more adult things you have to weigh in this. It's not just... And then Harry did a spell and everyone lived happily ever after. Because like right now, like you said, you're trying to figure out died. what happened in this guy's childhood with like this overbearing, like overly mustache <laughs> yeah. father that turned him into so what he mustache. did like way too mustache yeah. like yeah. is this what dudley's like, gonna be like dark dark levels of mustache <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> maybe maybe that's how the series ends is that barty's son ends up getting killed for this or, or banished back to azkaban and dudley rises as the next faithful servant yeah because of mustache because of the the effects the long-term yes. effects of being way too mustache <laughs> That's your that's your episode title, Jess. The long term <laughs> effects of being way too mustache. Like you're dealing with uh, you're, there's that. I mean, a guy cut off his arm a minute ago, and it was like, yeah, that happened, and we just kept it. We kept I, it rolling. I was legitimately prepared in that moment for like suicide. I was like, whoa, this is gonna get dark quick, right? And and like. If that had happened right now, you wouldn't be like, that was out of place. 
That, that, no, you, it could have happened. Not at all. Yeah. Because yeah, it's yeah. Because that's all. That's Barry Crouch's whole thing. Is like I would do anything. Like I would go to jail. I would like do whatever I need to do to prove myself loyal to him. You get the impression that he'd kill him. Like he'd suicide mission for Voldemort. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's ride or the, die. The propensity towards martyrdom for Death Eaters is is crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And we're not even done. We've got a uh, what? We've got one or two more chapters. Yeah, two more chapters. Yeah. Cool. 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 <laughs> Go home. Just reread Goblet of Fire. Picking all this up. Catch all the clues. I'm pretty. I'm pretty freaking excited for the movie. I know that it leaves out like it doesn't add everything from sure. this book, but like, yeah, you, you can't just leave that scene out. Right. Of course. So, coming up five days. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see you guys. Excited to talk to you again on Thursday. Jeremy will be here. He has not been here this evening. Um, that's a thing. Thank you to yep. Yep. our howlers. Be more like um, Aaron, Aaron, and Emily. I yep. literally, I literally just checked my phone, and we have a howler from Chad. <laughs> that is awesome i'm i'm pretty excited we've got some frequent callers at this point so if you haven't ever called in before you should mm-hmm. it is nine seven eight potter zero nine seven eight seven six eight eighty three seventy did i get that right i it sounds it sounded great i liked it that's that's from my brain so I'm, if we can fact check that but i feel pretty confident about it so proud of you right now um and as Aaron proved tonight, yeah. you do not have to talk about Harry Potter. It could be something, some pop culture reference we made, or if you've got feelings about Post Malone and you want to talk about that, Jeez. we are here for I that. forgot about that segment. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, Braden, we got a lot to get to. Like, we can't be, we can't be talking about Post Malone this much. I, I need freedom. You didn't I even need know. space to be able to, to explore those those areas of life before we get into the Harry Potter, you know, yeah, I, I think it adds. That. And that's what skip buttons are for. So if you didn't hear that at the start of the episode, we talked about post Malone for a bit. Well, either way, yeah. Call in, please do follow us on Instagram. We'll be doing some Instagram live stuff this weekend. Our movie anticipation, stuff like that. Uh, maybe Instagram live the, reactions we'll see how it goes yeah maybe get some instagram live of brain going down a water slide maybe maybe who knows we'll see what happens we'd love to you to join us with that if you want links to facebook instagram and all that good stuff mugglespodcast.com that's your home page put it in your twitter bio mugglespodcast.com for all that good stuff Thank you to our loving wives who put up with this recording being two hours and 15 minutes at this point. <laughs> Shout out to Hannah Thanks, for Jess. almost coming on the pod. Thanks to Jess and Jeremy. Get well soon. And we will see you guys here in a couple days. Happy birthday, Jacob. 
Wow. Come on the pod. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Actually, we got Jacob a keyboard for his birthday, like a piano. And I pulled up yeah. I pulled up Harry Potter sheet music and made him play it. <laughs> and Rachel took video. She's going to post um, it to the Instagram. And I'm sure he killed it. He did. It's so much fun making Jacob sight read stuff because, like, he can do it. But it... Yeah. But, like, you know, it's not just, like, at tempo. He, d- right, he gets stopping right. and stuff.